0: Uh show, so happy to to share a few stories with you and um, hopefully there'll be t- time for some prayer and some worship at the end um, and uh, yeah so I guess every every good story starts probably the same way as all our other nights have started once upon a time a long time ago in a faraway land lived a prophet named Elisha the prophet. Um, And if you have a Bible, or you want to to, to follow along in a Bible, you can. I'm not reading, but I'll just tell the stories from uh, 2 Kings 6 and 7, and I might tell a story from the life of St. Moses the Strong as well. Oh, before we get going with the story, I'll ask everybody to pull your phones out and uh, find St. Moses and St. Catherine's Church on Facebook, if you're on Facebook, um, or find us on Instagram. Um, And just uh, share this Facebook live. Tell a friend about it. Send it to somebody that you think would like to have been here but couldn't have been. Of course, you know, we're not into like soliciting people who don't want to hear. But if you know someone who wished they were here and couldn't be, let them know that they can kind of follow along. So take two. <laughs> Once upon a time, a long time ago in a faraway land, lived a prophet named Elisha. And uh, Elisha the prophet has some pretty fantastic stories. I mean, they are really on the border of what any one normal person would consider fantasy, and that's what I mean by fantastic. Um, and I'm going to share a few of the, a couple of those stories with you today. One of them is probably one of my favorite stories, uh, because it's a bit cheeky. and if you read between the lines, you find that the, the, the authors of Scripture had a, they, they really had a bit of a risque sense of humor. Um, and uh, that kind of just amuses me for better or for worse. So there was a time when in the life of Elisha the prophet, where, Uh, the the king of Syria was planning war against Israel. And so he would kind of just go and harass Israel. And he'd send bands of raiders to this village and they would kind of like, you know, loot and rape and pillage. Uh, And then he'd send raiders to that village and just to, you know, just to, to taunt them, to tease them, to see kind of what they can do. And so he would gather his advisors and he would tell them I'm going to send, I'm gonna, we're going to go against this village of Israel. We're going to go against that village of Israel. And they would go and they'd find it deserted. Or they would go and they would find the whole army of Israel there. Way more than, than a band of raiders could stand against. And so at one point, the king of Syria says to his, his counselors, he says to them, Okay, which one of you is the snitch? One of you is leaking intel to the king of Israel. And uh, this is a a funny verse if you kind of um, read between the lines. And one of the servants of the king of Syria says to the king of Syria, None, my lord, none of us is the snitch, my lord. O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. He tell, he's saying, he tells the king of Israel what you're doing in your bedroom. Read between the lines, right? And so, what does the king of Syria say? He says, bring me this man of God, Elisha. So, they send, he sends an army. He says, where is this man of, uh, man of God, Elisha? And he says, he is in Dauphan. Some town in Israel. He says, so he says, okay, bring me this man, of, this, this man, Elisha. So they go to get Elisha. Sends an army, a whole, a whole army to go get Elisha. And they go, the whole army travels all day, all night. And the servant of Elisha wakes up in the morning. I'm imagining he was going to the well to get water or something, you know. To get ready for the day and he gets out there and he can't believe his eyes and he rubs his eyes and he looks and he rubs his eyes and he looks and as far as is the horizon can see there is the army of Syria his heart probably skipped a few beats runs back into the house shakes Elisha awake and says Elisha Elisha they are upon us right alas my master what shall we do and if 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 you don't know, if you don't memorize anything from this, if you don't learn anything from from tonight, if you don't take anything from tonight other than this, take this away. Take Elisha's words away. Elisha's words that he says to his servant Jahazi at that time are words for me and words for you. Have you ever felt outnumbered? Um, I've got lots of friends. And I asked a few of them, you know, we've been doing this campfire thing for a few nights. I haven't seen you come out. What's wrong? And they're like, yeah, you know, there's just so much going on. And I'm like, what's going on? They're like, nothing, you know? (laughs) And uh, I'm like, so what's preventing you? They're like, nothing, but everything, I don't know. COVID's just made it hard to like move, you know? And sometimes whether there is like a real army that's standing before you, whether there's a psychological, like, innumerable army of anxieties and worries and fears that are crushing you whether there's a real people who are out to get you or whether there's just like a deep inertia you know a deep like painful inertia inability to to move and to you know what god's word for you tonight is the same word of Elisha that he's the prophet that he says to his servant Jehazi. he says to him and he says to you okay this is God's word to you as you see an army going before you from where you stand to the horizon you can't see the end of it you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel you can't see where this madness ends God's word to you is do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And you hear that and you're like, yeah, right. (laughs) What do you mean? That's not how it looks. That's not how it appears. That's not how it feels. That's not how that's not how it is to me. Right. I feel like I feel like totally outnumbered. I feel like. I feel like I don't stand a chance. I feel like, and so on. And God knows how you feel. I don't know how you feel, but God knows how you feel. And so God's second word to me and to you is the prayer of Elisha. That very moment when when he says that, he said, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And as Elisha prays that prayer, Jahazi can see chariots of fire filling the entire sky if that army goes to the horizon the army that is with you fills the entire sky and he sees but get this Elisha lives another day so we don't know you don't know how the story ends yet but you know it's going to be okay. And that's so important because in your story, you also don't know how it ends and I don't know how it ends, but you know it's gonna be okay. You know it's gonna be okay because there's more stories to come. Because there's stories about you in the kingdom of heaven. And there's stories about you doing great and fantastic things and there's promises for you in this book that have not yet been fulfilled so you have to live another day you have to live another day or god is a liar because if you don't make it past today then the promises in here that have not yet been fulfilled about you are false promises and then god is a liar but numbers 23:19 says is god a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should promise and not do it? Like, why do you ever give your word and not hold true on it? I know a lot of you, I don't know everybody here, and I really want to get to know all of you. But those of you that I know, I know you to be good people, honest people, people of your word. I am certain that if you give your word about anything, if, 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 if your word doesn't hold true, there are certainly a- extreme circumstances that have prevented it. What prevents you from keeping your word? Now, do any of those things that keep you from, preventi- from keeping your word? You get sick. A uh, family member is sick. God forbid, there's a death in the family. Your boss pops out of nowhere at 4:30 p.m. on a Tuesday when you promised a friend that you'd be here and asks you to do something that's going to take five hours. Who, who has that never happened to? Nobody, right? Why at 4? Why at 4:30? Why couldn't you tell me this? This didn't appear. This didn't materialize. Now you could have sent me an email at 7 a.m. today. I would have reorganized my workday and got it done. No, that's not how it works, right? Things pop out of nowhere and prevent you from keeping your word. Things that you could not have predicted, things that you did not know about. Sometimes we over-promise and under-deliver. We just, our resources are, are are less than our goodwill. Is that such a bad thing? I think you're a good person. It's better if you can deliver on your promises, but hey, you're still, I mean, you wanna do, You your heart is, is, is much bigger than your resources. Now, all of those different excuses not holding true to your word. Do any of those apply to God? That's what Numbers twenty-three nineteen is saying. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should promise and not do it. There are promises here that have not yet been fulfilled. There's more stories about Elisha that are, that are in this book. So he must live another day. So must you. And so he says to Jehazi, he says to the Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And he sees skies full of of, of chariots of fire. Now, we're expecting some serious Armageddon to go down, right? We're expecting like a serious showdown, Syria versus the angels of God, right? And we're going to get like some really good, like a really good action-packed movie, right? That's what we're expecting. You know, what, the only thing you can expect from God is you can expect him to surprise you. What happens next? Elisha prays and he says, Lord, strike them with blindness. And here's another one of my little f- favorites. You know, again, you kind of have to just read between the lines. Elisha says, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he, capital H, meaning God, struck them with blindness. According to the word of Elisha. Okay, this this isn't... There's no. I don't have any proof of this. But you're going to find these little hints according to the word of elisha god did as elijah said god would not allow the word of samuel or it says also about the word of moses to fall to the dust when it says those things it really makes me wonder whether that was god's plan or not or did elisha say and god said okay wasn't wasn't in the script but I can roll with that. I can, I can work that into the story. So, the army goes blind. And so God will do for you. So God will do for you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to pray because something may or may not be in the will of God. Pray. God may very well surprise you. It may not have been in the cards. But God might just say, Okay, I can work with that. If it involves like, you know, killing your neighbors that are too loud or something, I'm not sure God is going to do it, right? But pray, ask. The drought that Elijah, Elijah tells Ahab the king about, there is no evidence in scripture anywhere that God told Elijah to say that. And there was a drought and a famine for three and a half years. God is willing to go out on a limb if you are. If you are. Will you go out on a limb and will you pray and will you believe and let God do? So they all go blind. So they they're, they're fumbling around blind and they say, "Where is that Elisha man of God? And uh, you know in, in classic humor, right you got you have to picture this so that you can laugh, right? They poke Elisha and they're like, where's that Elisha man of God?" He's like, oh Elisha, oh. He went that way, (laughs) right? Let me lead you to him. So he takes the commander of the army, blind, they're all blind, and leads them by the hand right into the citadel of Samaria. They're in the citadel of Samaria. They're blind. They get disarmed, right? And the king of Israel says, who are these? He says, this is the army of Syria. Like the whole army of your arch enemy is now in your citadel unarmed. So the king of Israel says, what should we do, my father? Should we kill them? Elisha says, no. Set a table before them. And they set a table, a banquet table, and Elisha prays and says, Lord, open their eyes. And they open their eyes. They find themselves in the citadel. They're they're closed in, the entire army. And they're disarmed. And they say, and they're all scared. The king seats them feeds them a banquet, and sends them home. What was the hope of the king of Israel in all of this? Probably that these bandits would just leave them alone, would stop burning down their villages and raping and pillaging and wrecking havoc, right? How does the story end? So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more to the land of Israel. There you go. There you go. That's how we wanted the story to end. And that's how it ended. But it certainly didn't get there the way you thought it would. And that's our first story. Today we're doing three little stories. Another story. Let's take a story from the the, the lives of the saints. A story from our our patron saint, St. Moses the Strong. St. Moses lived in the... uh, End of the third, beginning of the fourth, end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth century, end of the 300s, beginning of the 400s. And he was a a slave uh, in the the house of a, a rich man, a master in Upper Egypt or Nubia, that kind of, you know, where Egypt meets Ethiopia, that area. Anyhow, he was a horrible man and he did horrible things. He probably killed somebody or stole something or. Or did something that was absolutely, you know, like unforgivable. And so his master cast him out. He becomes the leader of a band of raiders. And they live in the deserts. And they steal and kill and rape and pillage. You know, kind of our theme for tonight. Right? Anyways, he has a great repentance. And I'm not going to go through his entire story in detail. Uh, But all of like all of his life all of like you know kind of the negative that he went into all of his all of the badness that he got himself into you know God works in him to heal all of that and so he was extremely gluttonous when he first met the monks in up in in, in northern Egypt he, he used to eat a lamb a day like an entire lamb like not a shoulder not a leg not a, the whole the whole thing like the whole lamb and drink a barrel of wine a day if if god grants for you to visit our parish someday you'll find a barrel we have a barrel sitting there because if i tell you somebody drinks a barrel of wine a day you'd probably be like what's what's a barrel of wine that's like telling me that's like telling me to eat a fridge you know like what's a barrel of wine right that's a barrel of wine he was gluttonous, he was lustful, he was aggressive, he was, he was everything these monks were not. Anyhow, um, God worked in him a great healing through an enormous repentance in him and that's why he's named St. Moses the Strong because he offered such a, a, a strong repentance, such a vicious such a repentance. He was so aggressive in his fight against sin. At one point, he comes to a, a place where he's managed to avoid every temptation of lust while he's awake. And he goes to his elder, Abba Isidor and he tells him, Abba, I've, I, I, by the grace of God and His alone, I'm able to, stay, to keep my mind and my thoughts pure in prayer and while I'm awake. But when I sleep, the demons assault me with, with wicked dreams. And I just can't anymore. I don't know what to do. And he tells him what to do. It's easy. No problem. St. Moses says, what? What should I do? He tells him, don't sleep. So he took the command. And for eight years, for eight years, he did not sleep willingly. That's why he's called the strong St. Abba Moses. That was the intensity of his fight against the demons of lust. After eight years of spending entire nights filling the water pots of the elders with water to keep himself awake, and he'd fall asleep like standing in church, leaning on a pillar, or they find him bent over in, in an alleyway sleeping midday. After eight years, and other things happened, and I, I won't, I won't, I won't tell you all the details of his of his story. At one point. He's filling the water pots of the elders, and no one knows exactly what happened, not even St. Moses. And the demons just assaulted him, and they beat him to a pulp. They literally, they just beat him to, to, to be unrecognizable. And so the next day, the monks didn't find him, and eventually somebody went out to the well, which is about a mile and a half away, about two kilometers away from the monastery. Or the, it wasn't a monastery it was a, they, they just lived in community it wasn't like a walled communi- like a monastery um, and, uh, and they found him just lying there it took him over a year to nurse him back to health for a year he was bedridden he couldn't walk that's how terribly the demons beat him up not to frighten you but to tell you and so his Abba tells him St. Moses tone it down like you don't have to do that many prostrations you don't, and he wouldn't and he wouldn't Tells him, the demons hate you. And he wouldn't. But finally, even the strong Saint Abba Moses felt like you and me do sometimes. And he just went to his Abba again and he told him, Abba, I can't. I can't. I'm going to give up. Abba Isidur told him, that's it? You can't anymore? This is, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. This is after he got nursed back to hell. After he was on his feet. He goes to him, you can't anymore? He says to me, yeah, Abba, I can't anymore. I can't. Like, if, if, if God doesn't save me, I'm, I'm going to give up. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I don't sleep. I don't eat. He would fast multiple days in a row. You know, he was still filling the water pots of the elders with his limp, with his inability to walk. He would still drag himself through the night back to the well, the same place that he got beaten up at. And finally, at one point, he just didn't have it in him anymore. And his Abba tells him, Okay, come with me. And he takes him up onto the roof of his cell. And he tells him, Tells him, look to the West. And he looks to the West. And he sees, he sees armies of demons coming to assault him. And he gets terrified. And he's just, he's just absolutely terrorized. And then, as he's live, as he's full of fear, his Abba tells him, Abba Isidur tells him, look to the east. And he looks to the east and he sees the heavens full of angels. And like, they, they drown out the darkness in the sky with their light. And Abba Isidur tells him, see, those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And he smiles and he pats him on the shoulder and tells him, but nonetheless, Moses, they will harass you no more they will harass you no more. And from that day, the demons left him. And he lived in the glory of God for the rest of his life. From that day. And I bet you're thinking what I'm thinking the first time I heard this story. Like... Couldn't that have happened a little earlier? Like, did he have to get beaten to a pulp? Did both his legs have to be broken? Did it took him over a year to nurse him back to health? Like, could have been a little sooner, Abba Isidore. Like, if you had this trick up your sleeve, what were you waiting for? Right? What was he waiting for? Abba Isidore is the one who received him at the door of the monastery when he was still a thief, a bandit, a robber, a murderer, a rapist. When he was still eating a lamb and drinking an entire barrel of wine in a day, all stolen, of course. Abba Isidore is the one who, who, who greeted him at that time. Abba Isidore could have prayed for him then and there. And he would have, you know, maybe God would have pre- prevented him needing to struggle at all. But if he never struggled at all, would he be the strong Saint Abba Moses? Would he be the strong Saint Abba Moses? the fearless, the fierce? No. What glory would be in that? What glory would be in that? The victory comes from God. In all of these stories, the victory belongs to God. God grants the victory. So what credit is it to you if God causes victory to happen in your life? Nothing. You happen to be the innocent bystander whom God caused victory in your life, but God wants glory for you and for me. So, there is a struggle. But those who are with us are more than those who are against us. One more story, one last story, which uh, has a little bit of a to-do for you and for me. So the next story of Elisha is Right in the next chapter, Second Kings seven, and Elisha. At this point, there's a new king of Syria, and he he starts harassing Israel again, and he wants, this time he wants to attack the capital, Samaria. So what does he do? He lays siege to the city. For those of you who are not familiar with the term, that means that they go and they block all the entrances and exits of the city and the people out of fear close the gates and then they just trap them in there. They'll they'll either starve or they'll die of thirst or they'll surrender. Eventually they'll surrender. And so they wait. And they waited how long? They waited so long that there was no more food left in the city, that they would sell they would sell the the droppings of animals in the market as food at one point the king of israel is walking on the wall and a woman cries out to him and says to him king king do what's right for do what's right towards me and he says to her look lady if god doesn't help you i can't help you he doesn't even know what her plea is but he says to her, God, God can't, if God isn't helping you, I can't help you. She says to him, O oh, king, I don't know how to tell this part of the story with our minors in attendance, but basically she says, me and this other lady agreed yesterday that uh, yesterday we would, um, I don't know how to say this, uh, <laughs> uh, would uh, cannibalize My son, you know, make a stew, literally, boil him in a pot, uh, and uh, tomorrow we will cannibalize your infant son. So we did. Yesterday, we cannibalized, (laughs) sorry for the terms, uh, my son. And today she won't give her son. The king of Israel hears this and he just tears his clothes and he screams to God. And he he says, he screams, sorry, he doesn't scream to God. He screams, where is that man Elisha? And I want somebody to bring me his head here and now. Everybody thought this man Elisha, he can do anything. And he's not doing anything, right? Of course, it's not Elisha who does, it's God. So they send some messengers to Elisha who's sitting comfortably in his house. And the commander of the the, uh, uh, army of Israel says to him, you're a dead man because you're not doing anything about this. Elisha says to him, I'm a dead man. Tomorrow, he says to him, a so-and-so amount like a sea of barley a sea of barley is like a, like a bathtub think you're like a bathtub of like say flour. okay to like modernize it will be sold for call it a quarter call it a quarter at that time they were selling a handful of dove droppings for the equivalent of like a hundred dollars so he sells them A bathtub of flour will be sold for a quarter. The commander says, yeah, fat chance, right? Or the equivalent of that. And Elisha says to him, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not taste it. And with that, the the commander is just, he's afraid of Elisha, so he leaves him alone. The next morning, in the wee hours of the morning, there's these four lepers sitting at the gate of Samaria. You know, lepers have, the, they had leprosy is this contagious disease at that time. Now we have antibiotics to treat it. And it's a crime that some people still suffer from leprosy in, the, in our world today. But it's very treatable. But at the time, they didn't have any treatment for it. So these four lepers who are ostracized from society are sitting at the gate. And they're like, well... If we stay in the city, we die of starvation. Nobody wants to come anywhere near us. And there's no food in the city anyways. We might as well go out to the Syrian army. If they kill us, they kill us. At least, you know, we're going to die in here. Die in here or go out there. Maybe they'll give us food. You never know. So they go and they fumble around and it's dark. And they fumble around in the dark. And they find a tent and they knock on the tent and there's no answer and they knock on the tent and there's no answer they kind of open the tent a little bit they find it deserted they find gold and silver and all kinds of stuff and food and so they drink and they eat and they're having a party right and the Sun starts to come up and they're going from tent to tent collecting gold and silver and burying it and they're gonna come back for it later and they're eating and drinking And then one of them turns to the other three and he says something. And this is another word of God for me and for you. This is another word of God for me and for you. Those four leprous men, one of them says, we are not doing right. We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. And we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. They say this isn't right. The people in the city are starving. The people in the city are cannibalizing each other's children. The people in the city are living in fear and terror. And we're eating and drinking and partying and making merry... This isn't right. We've got to go and tell the good news before the sun is upon us, before the sun comes up. This is a word for you and for me. If you have indeed tasted the goodness of God, if you have indeed tasted that the words that I'm telling you and the promises I'm telling you are true, if you have indeed tasted that those who are for you are more than those who are against you, how can we stay silent? How can you stay silent when the rest of the world is living in fear? When the rest of the world is living in terror? When the rest of the world doesn't know what comes next? When the rest of the world doesn't know that there's still more promises, there's still more good things that are, com- that are promised for them? How can we stay silent? How can we not tell It's as simple as inviting somebody. It's as simple as sharing this Facebook Live thing with somebody. It's as simple as answering honestly when somebody asks you a question, like, how was your weekend? It was great. I went to church. It was the best day of my week. Really? You still go to church? People still do that? had more things to say, but again, you know, for our minors, I'll keep them to myself, right? Um, does anybody still do that? Does anybody, yeah, it's best day of my week. Really, why? It's an easy question to answer. You can say, hey, like everybody can believe what they believe, but what I believe is that that's the day that I get to meet the creator of the universe face to face, in the flesh, He's there. He takes flesh right before us. That's what I believe. You're, you, you, you do you, man. You believe what you want to believe. But that's what I believe. And on Tuesday night, come out and roast a marshmallow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right? But it's as easy as that. It's as easy as taking a, a mundane question that someone asks and answering it honestly. And answering it honestly. So what happened? What happened to the siege? In the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, God sends a huge racket of the sounds of chariots and horses into the camp of the Syrians. And so they freak out and they say, oh no, the king of Israel has hired the Egyptians against us and they're coming at us from the south, right? And now we're toast because we're not even facing the right direction for battle and they're going to come down on us from the mountains and we're at the bottom of the valley and they're they're right and so they run for their lives so the lepers send word to the king of Israel and the king of Israel doesn't believe them of course so he sends 5 men out on horses and they ride as far as the Jordan and they find All kinds of armor and swords and shields strewn along the way. They couldn't run fast enough. They were throwing their their weapons and they were throwing everything down so they could be lighter and run faster out of the fear that God put in their hearts. Like God made an army of several hundred thousand disappear overnight by spooking them out. That is your father. That is your father, right? Right? He literally turned to the camp of the, of, of the army of the Syrians, poked them on the shoulder, and when they turned around, said, Boo! And that was enough to freak them out and make them run in the opposite direction. And so sure enough, they bring back word. The king says, okay, this is going to turn into mayhem. He tells his commander, the same one that went to Elisha just yesterday, you stand at the gate and make sure everybody gets their fair share of food because people have been starving and doing all kinds of terrible things. So he stands at the gate and he's trying to regulate how many people can go out at a time. Well, sure enough, that worked, right? He sees with his eyes the food, but they trample him to death and he never tastes of it. Just like Elisha said. And there you go. Those who are for us are more than those who are against us so don't be don't let anything don't let anything terrify you don't let anything scare you don't let anything spook you out your father in heaven may spook the enemy out but never spook you never never say to yourself oh i think god is trying to scare me into this you know oh I'm I'm too afraid to do this. I think God is is scaring never. God's MO is never fear towards his children. The last thing I could ever want in the universe would be for my children to be afraid of me. That would break my heart forever. I want my children to love me because I love them, not to be afraid of me. And if you look in 2nd Timothy 1:6, 1, one of my favorite verses, St. Paul says to St. Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and a, and love and a sound mind. And so God has given to you and given to me. Three little stories to tell you that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>